given to me by Woody Shaw, Sonship, Dizzy, and John Kahn, dedicated to pursuing a piece of our cultural heritage through interviews with my music heroes. This is The Jake Feinberg Show. inside the Blackwood Broadcasting Studios at an undisclosed institute of higher learning. This is the Jake Feinberg Show. Thanks for being part of the program today. My brain is on a subway as I head into the vortex of living the live. Do you practice what you preach on stage? Do you remember the cats who accompanied you into battle when the album is credited? Or because of insecurity, do you take all the credit? These are obviously things that each musician has to deal with in his or her own individual way. My guest today is someone who has gone up against it in his musical life. He played with the temps and was fortunate enough to be around when the chitlin circuit was hopping, was hopping, the floorboards were shaking, and the finger-popping daddies were all having a ball. Bud Light didn't sponsor everything with a streamlined approach that saps the individuality away from poll-tested focus groups. To find, you must seek, which is what my guest has been doing of late with the release of his latest CD, Faces, which is dedicated to the late Tom Donlinger, who was one heck of a gravity adjuster, along with Boz Skaggs, Steve Miller, Ben Sidron, and all the other crazy cats from Wisconsin. My guest albums have become, become cult classics all over the world, and his recent international fame has prompted him to put together his own YouTube clip showing off his cosmic keys. Howard Wales, welcome back to The Jake Feinberg Show. How you doing, Jake? It's nice to talk to you, man. Nice to talk to you. So that was uh, coming in. We, we heard a little aqua breeze there off Faces. Mm-hmm. You know, talk a little bit about... Uh, how this album came together in, in all these tunes are original eight Howard Wales tunes and, uh, take us through how it all came together. Uh, well, pretty much like, uh, all the albums really just, uh, put people together and you know, where the chemistry is, uh, is right and everything moves and grooves good, you know, and that's, that's what creates the, uh, what I think, anyway, is the uh, real nice uh, feeling of freshness to what you're doing, you know. So 
that's basically nothing. It's not rocket science, you know. It's just what it is is the chemistry of, of human beings and people that, that reach out and go out of the box and are be able to uh, understand where you're going with your music, you know. Talk about, uh, um, go, speaking of knowing where you're going, uh, Tom Donlinger. I mean, how, talk about the first time that you uh, met him and then, Ultimately, uh, why you dedicated the album to him? I met uh, Tom uh, quite a long time ago, back in the Renaissance period. Here, uh, <laughs> and basically, uh, was uh, back in those days mm-hmm. when uh, I think it was '68 or '69 when I met Tom. And uh, actually, uh, uh, I met Tom through Jim Vincent, his brother great guitar player and uh i was doing a gig uh at the fillmore for a couple of days and uh, i needed a bass player and so of all people i got introduced to hawk walensky which i know you, inter- um, interview- you, inter- you interviewed him. a friend of the jake feinberg show yes sir mm-hmm. and uh anyway uh so i met him and i needed a bass player and then tom was playing drums so that was uh pretty much the uh, uh, first time that uh, Tom and I had played together, and we stayed uh, friends and musical. uh, uh, Our our musical thing was just very, very, very tight and very, very communicative. And uh, uh, he was always a consummate professional, and um, he really uh, came to to play and ready to play and um, always, you know, curious to the unknown, you know what I mean? It's the unknown, you know. It gets people's interest if you're willing to open up your mind to it. You know? Oh, it's well said. No, I was going to say uh, one thing about faces that I took note of as I listened to it is that there's a real Latin island feel to a lot of the songs. I feel like he was playing uh, timbales, uh, uh, or just what is it about the uh, the Latin groove that because uh, it was all over this album. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I I don't know. Uh, you know, Latin-wise, in terms of maybe, but there's probably what three three tunes on there, four tunes that have that influence. I think I try to mix things up, you know, so that uh, you don't really stay exactly in one place. So, but uh, yeah, you know, music, uh, Jake, is basically uh, the rhythms of life and how you pursue it of, of your on your life. Uh, trip so to speak you know is how everything works in your life how is it working not working it's all based on mood and uh, that's how you uh, create music that doesn't become stale but is always different each time um at some point in 1970 or 71 period back in the renaissance period uh the uh you auditioned uh with the grateful dead for a keyboard Uh, slot is that i I did to uh, go to europe and can you talk about uh, what, how that even came about? Well, that was from Jerry, and uh, you know, and any anyone else connected with the organization there that uh, want, wanted that to be. In essence, uh, Keith uh, Keith Gottschow was not uh, there. Jerry went to the band and said, uh, I, "Did they? Did you know the rest of the guys in the group? Had you had a chance to play with them prior to?" Yeah, because we we had uh, jammed uh, a, a, a number of times over at the Avalon Ballroom and uh, and the great white great uh, the great highway place, uh, the great highway in uh, San Francisco there on uh, 
actually that turned into the other. I'm just thinking of something else. I'm sorry, but anyway, uh, yeah, we we jammed together in a couple two two three different places. Yeah, I was going to say there's uh like I said, I was inundated after my first interview with Howard uh, from all sorts of fans. And there's a circulating tape uh, from a Thursday night, August 28th, 69, at the Family Dog. Family Dog is what I was saying. Yeah, I know you were, no, because we're locked I in. I was trying to go there. Like, I know you're trying to go. No, so it was labeled <laughs> yeah. as, it was labeled as Mickey and the Heartbeats, but uh, oh. the band is Garcia, Phil Lesh, Bill Kreutzmann, Mickey, Pigpen, and Howard on organ. And uh, so, I mean, apparently shows like this were just publicized with flyers on telephone poles. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how a lot of things were done that way. But who invited, so, so but, but who invited, the questions that from the guest, the audience were, who invited Howard to this gig? This was well before the Matrix so, shows. So what was the social or musical co- connection that got him invited to that jam? I think the most influence would have been Jerry. Uh Jerry and I were the closest uh, uh, in that organization, in that in that band. Him and I were uh, far and above, just on a communicative, on a musical level, and uh, a life level per se. Uh, we just really hit it off real well. And of course, you know his his thing was is that which is the most respected thing I always thought of Jerry as somebody never closed his ears to, to any kind of music and so on. He tried to find the good and the uh, and you know just go out there and and learn it and and groove with it and uh, get into it you know because uh, he just he was open minded uh, completely you know. But this was before the Matrix show, so you would play. When did you? Do you remember when you first were able to play with Jerry? Yeah, that it was like at that gig, you know, uh, the one you were talking about at the Family Dung. At the, <laughs> the Family Dung and the the, but who? Uh, so, but uh, but they had just heard you playing outside of it, and, and Jerry said this was a good idea to let's bring him into the jam. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that, you know, during that whole scene, uh, a lot of people, I mean, pretty well word of mouth, you know, covered many, many areas in the Bay Area and uh, elsewhere in California or whatever. And uh, it just, uh, people just knew that things really cool were happening at different places and so on. You know, like you said about the, you know, posters on the telephone pole and or whatever. You know things like that. It just uh, a lot of stuff was circulated that way. It wasn't just advertised on the newspaper or you know on on radio. Some of it on radio, but uh, uh, a lot of it was just word of mouth. You know. How did you when you uh, when you got into the to the rehearsal for the Europe the Europe tour? What was what did you take away from that experience? Was it were you turned off by the guys? Uh, did you have a positive experience? I mean, it didn't. It never materialized, obviously. Well, for two reasons, to be off with you, I, I didn't really want the uh, the gig because I was really wasn't looking forward to the curse that had been put on the keyboard player. <laughs> very <laughs> good, very smart. <laughs> well, and the other part was the other part of this equation was is the fact is they actually made up their mind. It wasn't on a uh, musical level on an instrumental level or anything like that that uh but the thing that happened was is they realized that I don't sing except with my fingers so it didn't work right and uh 
they they wanted some they wanted somebody that had vocal chops, I guess. But. Yeah, yeah. No, there was nothing. It was it, it was absolutely no question mark about the musical ability or the the fun part of it or any other thing that encompassed it. You know, it wasn't really anything to do with that. What were uh, like on a life level? Uh, you and Jerry connected. Um, you know, talk talk about some of the. Uh, you guys are both heavy intellectuals, and obviously, you know, the, 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 you know there was lots of lots of wonderful things, mind expanding things going on. But talk about some. Talk about a conversation you guys might have had early on that sort of said to you, "Wow, this guy is not your typical cat." Well, uh, let's see. Come up with the with the best. Let me go back to uh, the Matrix days. <clears throat> And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I need some water. And the floor is yours. Going back to the Matrix, uh, matrix days, uh, Jerry and I, you know, he, we, we, you know, I ran that jam uh, there uh, for quite a while, uh, and then a lot, a lot of people came down and played. And, and when Jerry was coming down there to play, we had a lot of conversations about, you know, the future of a lot of different things, music and so on, you know, everything else surrounding it and uh it just uh felt that uh it would be nice to be able to uh you know go off in other directions and so on and uh he just impressed me as somebody that uh our our minds were pretty meld you know in terms of uh being able to understand uh his background was a lot similar to mine in terms of his personal life and different things but he, he, we just seem to have a really great uh, mental uh, clarity to our relationship, you know, which manifested itself both in conversation and music. Did you, I mean, the first couple of times that uh, that you guys would play a after the gigs, would you, would you, would you sort of just say, "Hey, that was fun"? Would you compare? No, I mean, how did? Because you you were running that Matrix session. We talked about that when those cats that were running the place, Lord knows what happened to them, but they. Uh, they said you want to run this this thing, and did you? Did you actually? Um, you were playing with a different uh, band at, or tr different trio at that point, and you just decided you're like, well, I'm going to get Garcia and Khan and, and Billy Vitt. How did that all work out? You mean for the Hooteroll album? Mm, not even the Hood. Just the idea when you got when you took over the. It's my understanding that when you took over the Matrix Jam session, that mm. that the that Garcia was not part of that of your working band at that point. No. So no, no, it wasn't. It was myself and Bill Vitt and John Kahn and whoever else and whoever played guitar, whatever any you know, whatever night that was. It could have been like Jim Vincent or any yeah, it could have been. We had so many people that came down. It was only a place that held only maybe. There was no dancing, so it was just pretty much all sitting there, completely. Yes, come sitting there. <laughs> And, and not being able to really uh, do much else of anything else, let's put it that way. Well, it was. I mean, listen, Merle's son Tony talks about sleeping on pillows in there. You know, <laughs> you know, hiding in these pillows. I mean, it sounds like somebody's you know basement or oh, something. Oh, man, let me tell you, it, it, Jake, if you were part of that atmosphere that took place back in that era, you would have been in hog heaven. <laughs> they would have had to wheel me out of there. They would, had, they would have <laughs> taken you out in a stretcher, man. Well. I'm telling you, but anyway. No, I, I wanted to uh, segue here into uh, uh, Howard. Howard Foist did a, a very special uh, piece of music, uh, or just a, a record on me uh, recently, and I wanted to uh, play a clip of it and then uh, come back and we'll talk about it. Sounds good. All right. 
next stop, 42nd Street. Bri- the Bri- <laughs> you, have you listened to that? No, I mean, I know you, you sent you, have you uh, it's, uh, Yeah, man. Uh, cooking, cooking. Yeah, oh, yeah. Ooh. And uh, all that young energy. That the name of that track was Brain Subway. Oh Brain Subway, and I, I yeah, Brain Subway. Yes. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, uh, well, I don't even want to go into it. it. Was was George Marsh on drums for that, or was it Don Linger? I mean, it's hard for me to. No, that was Tommy. It was Tommy, and uh, we had. Uh, uh, why don't you fill in the rest? I mean, that that was uh, Jim James Vincent Don Linger's uh, brother. Bro, uh, right, but his it brother. was his album called Culmination. That That's actually correct, yeah. was it was that was in '71. 1971, man. And and then uh, and and it, it is it is really uh, a perfect mix of rock and jazz. It's it's really a lot uh, of fusion there, man. Mm, I mean, real fusion. fusion and not and to me, I mean, you're playing like a man possessed. I, how did the? I guess I never. You told me you you uh, you showed your piano teacher the door early in your life. Um, but when did you actually get your hands on a on a Hammond B three originally? Uh, not until I was around 21. And how long did it take you to even, you know, realize, I mean, it just seems like the, 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 the sequencing of your ideas is just, is, is the most scintillating part. And it, did that come naturally or was, was talk about your, the, your relationship with the Hammond and how you eventually were able to fuse it into these jazz rock settings? Well, I started playing piano when I was four years old. And uh, I played some classical music for a while. And then I got tired of the piano teacher, and I said, it's time for you to leave. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go on to another world here, please. You know, but thank you very much. You know, So she left, and then uh, I never really knew that I wanted to be a professional, you know, a professional, so to speak, musician. You know, I, I just didn't really conceive of it until probably when I was 10 or 12 years old. And... Uh, I think that uh, when I got into the Hammond, I was I, I, I was playing on Rush Street in Chicago when I was 18, and uh, I was playing Wurlitzer electric piano. And I I, uh, I was with a band called Robbie and the Troubadours at the time, and uh, and then I went on to other things and so on, and I just didn't get hooked up with the. Uh, with the Hammond until I was around 20, 21 years old. I had a, a, a spinet Hammond to start with, but never the uh, B3 type or the console organ. What was it? What was the spinet? What was that difference? Yeah, well, it was you know kind of like you know starting on uh, on Woolworth or whatever and ending up in the you know in the high, <laughs> higher places. Uh, but anyway, what did what did Jerry used to talk to you about with your playing of because I mean he Pigpen was a was primarily just a blues he was heavy blues but you, yeah, yeah yeah you had that but you also were elevated with like you know serious jazz chops and I mm-hmm. and uh there's no doubt in my this is really interesting um what what did Jerry used to talk about with your playing what did he like I, I everybody knows the famous quote but what would he say to you like wow Howard I, I didn't even know I could do that I mean was he well he said that and and he also uh, he elaborated on the fact that uh, uh, the the very fact that where Ike was coming from was was completely unique to to what he ever encountered so can you explain be specific about that well um well, let's let's look at it this way. When music music has no boundaries, okay, that's the way I see it. Uh, there is no boundaries in music. So if there's no boundaries, that means that 
if you want to get to certain places on the on this whole trip of life, you you have to you have to open your mind and and uh, just go out there and try to do things that you maybe thought you never could do, you know. And then all of a sudden you're in a, a, a you know in a chemistry you know people right that uh, create a certain aura around a playing, and that takes you to the to that level that you never thought you could do. Understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and 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 in and in in Jerry's case, coming from the Warlocks or the Grateful Dead, it was when when he heard you, it was just it was more it was more open than that than what he had been used to. Well, he just never heard anybody play like that, and and in in terms of the individuality, uh, you know, uh, playing of it, you know, I I do chords that are not in the book. Right and and, and uh, that's so did the monk, you know, Thelonious monk. And when I met him, he he said to me, "Always be yourself." You know, he told me that, and uh, it was a long time ago. And uh, everybody, you know, didn't praise that man because they didn't really understand what he was doing. You know, uh, he did he made chords and stuff that weren't in the so-called book. You know, well, you got to throw the book out. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean people it, are it, petri- people are petrified to, to throw the book out these days. <laughs> They don't want to. They don't want to. It's like the. It's like Linus's blankie. Speaking of which, did did uh did you cross paths with the uh, the venerable Vince Guaraldi at any point? I met him once, <laughs> but uh, that I never uh, never uh, you know actually hung out with him. You know and so on. Uh, respected him as a player. I want to go back to this this uh, this is so fast. This is this uh, Alan Douglas cat who is uh, you know Columbia mm-hmm. p- producer signed you to a record album that ultimately turned into Hooterol. Um uh, you know, Columbia was uh, at that time. Uh, you know, they, they eventually uh, uh, they pr- they pr- they supported a brief '72 East Coast tour. Howard Wales and friends, uh, and that was you on keyboards, Roger Troy on on bass, Jerry Love on drums, Jim Donlinger on guitar, um, and Jerry Garcia. Uh, actually, no, it was, it was Jim Vincent, James Vincent, and, right? And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, Jim Vincent never went by Jim Donlinger. Do you? It was yeah, always right. Jimmy Vincent. Did you do you recall um, because those were all your your boys from the Midwest? But did you have to do you recall approaching Jerry and saying, "Hey, let's let's uh, how, what what was that like getting him to?" Because I mean, he he was out outside the bar, way outside at that point. No man, he was all up for that tour. Yeah, he he he, he we had a blast. And the question, I had a blast. I hadn't, la- I hadn't laughed so much in my life, you know. because so, Jelly Roll was probably one of the more funniest people you'd ever meet in your life i mean he was a prankster all the way to the you know whole full limit you know he's funny he, he was the great storyteller of our time and um but uh, that's a whole other story i don't want to get into that no i was going to say that uh the interesting thing here is that uh, uh a listener brought this to my attention is that uh you were linked up with mahavishnu at the time, they were the other act on those bills when nobody knew about them. And I wanted to know, truthfully, at the time when you when you heard them, what what, what was your view of, of Mahavishnu at that time? That band, oh yeah, man, uh, totally out there, really cool. Uh, I mean, really played uh, incredible stuff. You know, the thing about you have to have groundbreaking things, you know, to order to create interest. I think you know it may take people a, a time to really understand what you're what you're doing, but that's how you know fresh uh, uh, things you know occur because basically they're 
they're just done in a way, you know, that opens up the envelope to everything, you know. How did how did uh, you know everyone knows Bob Weir is the rhythm guitar player and how he synced up with with Garcia? But how did uh, how did Jimmy Vincent and Jerry? I mean, was I guess I'm just trying to get back into that. You know, you guys played for that one show from the Symphony Hall mm-hmm. that's available an hour two and a half hours, and of course, uh, I'm just was was there? It was your band. Did you was there a lot of dialogue prior to like you know who would take souls? Or was it just a lot of eye contact? I'm just trying to because like you said, it's got to be new. It's got to I mean, be no, no, man. It was just totally out of the gate. You know, there was absolutely no rehearsals or nothing. You know, it's just. Uh, uh, what I wanted to get at here, you know, which kind of, uh, you know, I'm trying to answer your your thing in a way that, uh, well, it kind of involves around spontaneity, okay, and to be able to be able to jam, and I think being able to jam is is the most crucial thing because when you can do that, you put yourself in a position where you're not afraid, you know, where fear plays no part in it, and I've been lucky, you know, throughout the course of my life, I've played with a lot of people that had that feeling of, of being not, you know, they're just right out there, they're, they want to do it, you know, and uh, they don't have any fear, not give me the CD and let me take it home and learn the song and all that stuff, you know. It's just, uh, it's communication and, like I said earlier, chemistry, you know, of it all. When you say the ability to jam, I know what you're talking about, but for other musicians out there who are sort of, the fear is still there and they know standards but they uh you know the idea of individual voice and that has not really evolved um how do you tell, tell besides just throwing the book out the window you know how do how would you give advice to up and coming players in this in the times that we're living in it, to get to that point where they can get to a point where they can say i, I i'm i'm able to jam I think that uh, jamming has to be done with people that are uh, have an open, uh, you know, open way to their brain. You know, that does not uh, significantly hinder them in terms of getting out there and trying to learn stuff. You know, it, it, you can't jam with people that you don't have a good, uh, uh, you know, brain communication with, and just the vibe of who you're working with. You know. I think that all really depends on that. I've been real lucky that way because I would have never been able to do my albums. Uh, you can't be a one-man island. You have to have people that surround you that complement, you know, what you're, where you're coming from, you know. And so I couldn't get any of what I got done uh, without all the help from all the, the players. And they weren't there for the money, Jake. They were there for the music. So. Right. They weren't. They they were singularly focused on just making good music. Um, Correct. You know, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this. And I've seen. I, I I had the album, and then I went home and opened it, and it was a different record inside the rec- the uh, album. And it was so disappointing. This classic acid, acid western movie, El, El Topo, uh, that you were on. It was a it was a Shades of Joy. Mm-hmm. With Martin Fierro, what, what? How did that come about? I mean, there's this wild. That was through Alan Douglas. So Douglas played a. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who understood the the free form and the and the and the understanding of 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 music. Now he's from New York, and he had a good jazz. You know, he loved jazz and and so on. You know, so he had a his musical background opened up the fact that his interpretation of what he got into was just solid. You know, so didn't really. That's where he was at. That's where he's at. What do you think, uh, uh, talk a little bit about the uh, Cosmic Keys. Uh, well, what was the incentive to get on YouTube? Because it is a, it is a striking, striking 
uh, video. Why, why, talk about how that came came to be. Um, well, like I say, I like to wear a lot of hats. Okay, so I, I pretty much can do just about anything, and so I wanted to do something in a in a groove that was. Uh, on a visual level, you know, that uh, and a musical level as well, that was really different than any of the other stuff that I do. You know. I have another thing, uh, another uh, video going up in uh, about a week to two weeks. That's uh, a real uh, a funky thing. That's pretty. I think it's pretty cool. I think uh, people like that too. Um, but it is. It's just different, you know. Uh, different stuff that, uh, like I told you earlier in the conversation, you know, keep it different. You know, don't keep being the same thing to the same thing. You know what I mean? So that's that's how all that works. Did uh, did you get the sense that with with Jerry, especially when you uh, went at the Matrix, and then when you went on tour, like he was was he bored with the with the dead at that point? No, there was no boredom on that tour, man. Not on that tour. I'm saying, was he stifled by? Uh, the Grateful Dead at that point, and did he want? I think, well, Jerry, he 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 was with the Grateful Dead, of course, and as far as I was concerned, he was the Grateful Dead. You know, I mean, uh, he made the, what the Grateful Dead were. You know, without him, they he was irreplaceable anyway. You know, and uh, he he just uh wanted to he wanted to go uh, like i was saying earlier he wanted to go to other worlds you know he wanted to experience music uh, to the best he could you know i'm looking here uh, at, according to to bob weir in uh, dennis mcnally's book uh when you uh auditioned he said things got too weird too fast and the dead moved on um i'm not sure what that means but you're but you're telling me that 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 it was strictly because you did not sing that was the reason why that it didn't work out yeah also uh well there's i'd rather not discuss what my personal feeling is on it that's absolutely fine um tell me a little bit about uh what you have you been i know that there you know listen jelly roll and the Donlinger brothers and uh, and uh, Jerry, John Kahn, Billy Vitt is still doing it. But uh, uh, what, what about what about uh, Howard Wales in the in a live in the live context? Or, I mean, do you? I know it has to be the right setting, and I know it has to be fresh. But what would uh, get you uh, salivating to play live, if if anything? Well, you know, depending on the venue, and uh, you know, just other particulars uh you know it just uh it would have to be something right that uh is you know the consciousness of it is high no i can't say it any better than that close to the sun in lonely lands ringed with the azure world he stands the wrinkled sea beneath him crawls he watches from his mountain walls do you know what poem that's from tennyson Nailed it. And that is on the back of Jake Feinberg's favorite album of all time, Rendezvous with the Sun, 1976 on Coastal Music. And I actually went on last night, and there's one up there, and your boy who's doing it says it's up there for 50 bucks, and it says from the personal collection of Howard Wales, and then there's a picture of you giving a thumbs up on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. Yep, you're out there, man. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, you have to keep it fresh. 
you can't expect other people to 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 know what that's about. And I think that for the legacy of, of all these cats, um, yeah. Martine and all these guys, uh, yeah. I think it's essential. So, so faces came out in 2012. We got uh, um, uh, uh, the YouTube of Co- uh, 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 Cosmic Keys, and you said there's another one going up as well. Is, are we going to be able to see you this time, or is yeah, it be yeah. this? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the guy that's doing the videos, you know, uh, is uh, I, I let him basically uh, do what he wants to do. You know, whatever he thinks works. He's basically taking the, I think he's taking the video aspect of it back to the late 60s, you know, in that time period and so on and so forth. A lot of colors, a lot of things like that. Tell the audience, if you would, um, one thing that, uh, tell me tell me a classic story about a uh, conversation uh, that, uh, that you and Garcia had that, that has not been told before. Uh, it's a hard question to answer. There's many conversations that have been said. Um, um, on a spontaneous level, I I don't know exactly where I could go with that. Uh, as far as we had so many conversations I had with him uh, about life and music. Um, it's just that I think that we were really good to uh, know know each other, you know, as well as not we were like. We didn't go out to dinner and you know, do a lot of social uh, uh, things like that. We we just uh, had a, a very well connected uh, emotional uh, feeling towards music and uh, you know just not being hung up and learn and all kinds of stuff. You know, just our our relationship was pretty much based on uh, on intellectual ability to understand a lot about life and and different things and how we can make it better and so on and and uh, our path you know what what kind of path do we have here you know what i mean did you guys were you were you into sci-fi as well big sci-fi fan yeah so you i mean because i know he was obsessed with that yeah, as well yeah 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 we, we talked about that a lot <laughs> how how did uh how, in 1988 uh at the old waldorf uh or the old warfield uh you wound up playing with him in 1988 um, do you remember how that, how you reconnected? It was just kind of a, it came out of nowhere. It was what now? I'm sorry. In, uh, March of 1988 at the, uh, old, uh, at the old Warfield, uh, you wound up, uh, playing with the Jerry Garcia band, uh, right. uh, don't let go. And that, I mean, that was clearly, I mean, we're looking about 16, 15 years after you guys had originally collaborated and right. people were curious as to how that came about. I mean, we just in te- you just happened to be around. You walked up backstage and met him. How, how did you wind up uh, reconnecting? No, I was invited down to play. And uh, you're talking about at the Warfield, right? Absolutely. So Jerry called you or? Yeah. And and then was there ever an opportunity to um, to to piggyback on that or to do anything else after that? No, I, not really. I, I, to be honest with you, man, it was really hard to do another album uh, uh, other than what happened that came out of the vault with the uh, uh, Side Trips album after the Uteral album. As far as past that, uh, there wasn't really much of an opportunity to do anything else at that point. Just uh I, I I'm this is for the record, but uh explain to me uh the the um in Chicago, uh you were with um the original band that you were, uh, what was the name of that band again? Uh oh 
in Chicago, Robbie and the Troubadours. Robbie and the Troubadours. And then, right. and then uh, you, you wound up uh, working with, um, with uh, Freddie King, is that right? Well, I went to Cincinnati and... Uh, well, actually, I went up to I was I was up to I went to to Canada up to Toronto. I played with Ronnie Hawkins up there. How did it come about? I'm very fascinated about this uh, this idea that you'd have blues bands, essentially white blues bands, uh, that, that coming out of the Midwest. But then, like you said, going like I said in the in the intro, going on tour with with these soul groups like Smokey Robinson, Marvin Gaye, or the Temps. Mm-hmm. Well, How- we had a band called the. Click and it was with uh, Jolly Roll was a bass and uh, basically we had a band and that's what we did. We backed up the Four Tops and all kinds of people of that of that uh, genre. Well, let's not gloss over that. You backed up the Four Tops. And, yeah. I mean, how did how did that even? Who was the mastermind to say let's fuse these guys with massive jam chops with these burgeoning soul acts? I mean, where did that? Oh even... yeah, but it doesn't mean that we couldn't you know play the play the standards so to speak you know. And groove with what they were doing. I mean, it's just music, you know. Absolutely, um, Howard Wales. Uh, you know, it's it, any, anything else you want to add about your your current uh, your 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 current uh, uh, rendezvous with uh, with life at this point? Um, I just uh, I'm about to finish uh, a solo uh, project of a uh, bunch of organ tracks and. A few uh, piano tracks, no no ensemble type uh, thing. It's pretty cool. Now we're 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 uh, we're going to get started on that book too, real soon. The book, <laughs> the, the book. book. No, actually, the nice thing about faces is that I can see your face in this in, right, in that right. CD, which you is nice. Play, you should play for the uh, people out. There. You should play them a little bit of uh, uh, the truth of blues a la carte, cut number seven. Yeah, actually, uh, the, my my favorite ones. Unless you add something else, skied up from the album. No, but we, really good stuff. Yeah, no, this is it's 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 uh it is a fin- and there's actually just some really really good tracks on the whole thing. Uh, everything from Propellion to oh, Propellion, yes, Propellion to uh, to the one we heard, which was Aqua Breeze. But um, Howard, it was it was really an honor. It just it's just always fun to talk to you. I'm going to go back and listen to this and and, uh, and and derive all these nuggets out of there. And um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, Jake. A uh, pleasure. All good, right. con- good conversation. Always, and, my friend. Uh, all the best to you and your family. All right, we'll talk to you soon, brother. And, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. All right now. Bye. Jake Feinberg Show. See you all in a little bit.